0: On today's Third and Run podcast, the inaugural episode of the pod, we go over the Big Ten's decision to cancel the fall football season, and I tell you why nothing about the timetable surrounding their decision makes any sense. We have the one thing, in my opinion, that the NCAA must do in order to save the structure of college football and end up saving the sport. And finally, the Badgers landed a commitment from their top wide receiver target in the class of 2021. We go over that and look at where the class currently stands amongst the conferences and the nation's best. All right, cue the intro. Welcome to the Third and Run podcast, the first episode, the inaugural episode of The Pod we have a loaded show for you today, but first, before we get to that, a little bit about myself. I am originally from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and currently a student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I am currently a staff writer for USA Today's The Badger's Wire. You can find my work as, as well as the work of my colleagues online at badgerswire.usatoday.com. Finally, I'm a host at WSUM 91.7. FM Madison Student Radio, running my mouth on anything Badger and Big Ten football. So a little bit about the pod. Episodes at this point are going to be coming out probably once a week. Obviously, it's not ideal to start a podcast right after the season had gotten canceled. But we have a lot of stuff to give to you. We have interviews with media members around the Big Ten, people connected to the program, recruits that are coming in in coming years. Really excited to get into all of that. You could follow the pod. On Twitter at Third and Run, and you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Z Kenny. So, without further ado, let me start with this. On August 10th, the Big Ten Conference canceled, postponed, however you want to call it, their fall football season. They did this only five days after releasing their updated conference only schedule. Was the decision in talks for a while? Who knows? And I have a lot of theories around why this decision was made, what the big factors, that have been playing into the decision were, but you can argue back and forth about whether it's safe to play football, whether there should be football, how the season can be played safely, but I don't think anybody can dispute the fact that every day in this time we're living in, new information is coming out, significant information, oftentimes. So the thing that I really don't understand about this decision is the timetable. The timetable makes zero sense, and here's why. So first of all, the decision was made a month, almost a month before the season was set to kick off. And in the 24 hours, this is first in the 24 hours after the decision was made, the FDA approved this new saliva testing method. A Michigan cardiologist tore, pretty much tore apart one of the papers, which was apparently a centerpiece of the decision. And then parents and players have come out saying that they, they're out of the loop. They have received zero answers around the decision. So first the saliva testing. So Andy Slavitt is a former healthcare head for former president Barack Obama talked about this new saliva testing method, one which is cheap, it is fast, and something that is significant in testing a large group of asymptomatic people. And this was one of the big questions surrounding the college football season and and sports in general about say you you see with baseball right now, you have teams that or the Marlins, for one, played and they had players that were positive and they didn't get tests back until after the game. One of the significant roadblocks going forward, as many people would agree, is being able to test people quickly and know before you go into a contest whether they're positive or whether they're negative. So this is what Slavit said about this new saliva testing method. This is a quote from his Twitter. He said, this is important because of schools, universities, office buildings for wide testing of asymptomatic people. They're all getting introduced to the test in the next few weeks. Now, what does this mean for football? Let's say one of the big roadblocks in going forward. And I'm saying all this because the Big Ten has not talked nearly enough about the decision or been nearly as open about the methods, whether there was a vote or anything. So you would assume that the testing was a significant aspect of of their decision, because at the time they made the decision, you know, the testing methods weren't weren't as good as they could be. So this is now approved by the FDA. Second, the paper. So one of the centerpieces was apparently this big scientific paper on a condition that is an aftermath of having COVID, a heart condition. So Michigan cardiologist, Venk Murthy, went on Twitter, after he had read the paper, and I'm quoting this. He said, the Big Ten report on COVID relies heavily on this paper, which found rampant abnormalities among normal controls and had many statistics that made no sense. It's time to retract or correct this paper. So in the 24 hours after the decision was made, you have a significant step forward in testing, and you have apparently one of the centerpieces of the decision pretty much being ripped apart on Twitter this cardiologist is saying that this paper, maybe maybe it's on the road towards proving what what it had thought that it proved, but this isn't an accurate thing to go off when you're making a decision like this. And finally, the parents and the players. So I understand if the public is maybe out of the loop a little bit about whatever decision is made, but if the parents and the players have no idea why the decision was made, what the vote was, anything about the season... That's ridiculous. So the time, first of all, the fact that they made this call five days after the schedule had gotten released, and maybe they were talk again, maybe they were talking about it earlier, but even after making the decision, not even being open to the people that are directly affected by it, I don't understand it all. So Pat Ford wrote a great piece on this where he talked to a lot of the players, and this is a quote from the article: "The decision just came too quick," said Fryermuth mother of Nittany Lions tight end Pat Firemuth, I totally believe in medical experts and think we should be listening to them. If the right thing to do medically is not to play, I'm fine with that. But to go from releasing the schedule to the start of practice to stopping the season without explanation is just wrong. And Kevin Warren came out with a paper explaining a little bit everything behind the call and the meeting and all, and all these things. But it's, it's not enough at this point. This is a decision that has wide-ranging consequences. Look at the three other conferences in college football. If they play a season and the Big Ten and Pac-12 don't, and if they play the season safely, these are these are ramifications that will be felt in the sport and in the Big Ten for years to come. Now, one of my theories around this postponement of the season is that the Big Ten wanted to be 1st and they wanted to get it right first, and they maybe didn't really worry about being right as much. They wanted the other conferences to follow. So it's not a great look that the other conferences are going forward towards the season. They might still postpone it, but they're waiting for more information to come out. They're they're still trying to safely play. The fact that the Big Ten did it this early and only had the Pac-12 follow them really is not a great look from the conference. So then, after this 24 hours where this new information comes out. You have ESPN writers uh, tweeting that no president or chancellor will comment. And these are the presidents at the meeting. You have the Big Ten parents going to Chicago to protest, saying that they don't know anything uh, about why the call was made. You have the Justin Fields petition, which reached 200,000 signatures in one day and the entire We Wanna Play movement. And finally, Nicole Auerbach, one of the best college football writers in the country, tweeted that the Penn State athletic director doesn't even know if there was a vote after news broke when all the meetings were happening that there was a 12-2 to 2 vote in favor of postponement. So why are they leaking information to the press and to the public trying to push you know, the idea of not playing? The only explanation to me is that they wanted the conferences to follow and they were petrified that if they had canceled it and the other conferences went on and played that, that they were going to be screwed for years to come. So I, I, at the end of the day, I don't know if they should play. Not many of us do. But the, reason, the, the way that this decision was made so quickly, so long before the season, and without any of the important people in the loop, just makes no sense. It's ridiculous. And this is also not mentioning the fact that a lot of former players, people close to the sport, even Urban Meyer, have, have come out and said that uh, a spring season's impossible, that they're planning for a season that won't happen. And even more so, furthermore, they're talking about playing a spring season where they're playing indoors in a couple months. What's going to be different then? I'm confused what the conference is really after here. And just the, everything about the, time to, the last couple weeks have, have really made no sense to me. And there's only one explanation I can come up with at this point, is that the conference panicked. They thought the other conferences were going to follow in canceling the season, and they haven't. And you pair that with the fact that the coaches and the ADs and the players are all saying they want to play or that they just want information about why they aren't playing, and the presidents won't comment, and the Big Ten really hasn't done much to comment. I don't get it at all. I don't get I don't get anything about it. You look at the Pac-12 right now. The Pac-12 put out a long medical report about why they aren't playing. The players haven't spoke up. The parents haven't spoke up they have cohesion in their conference where the decision was made and people are behind it. But here, the the disconnect is ridiculous. And this brings me to a bigger picture problem with the sport right now, is just the disconnect between the conferences, between everyone involved with the sport. And I'm going to get to that later because I have one thing that will end up fixing that and go a long way towards fixing the sport. So overall, the timetable of this Has made absolutely zero sense and the fact the lack of transparency by the people at the top is honestly embarrassing you can't have this disconnect between the people in charge of the well-being of the conference and of the sport and the most important people to that sport happening the players and the coaches there's no way that they should be out of the loop on all of this and you can read the description about why the decision was made Or listen to Kevin Warren talk. But the fact that the coaches and the players and the parents are still saying that they want answers. It's honestly embarrassing for the conference. If the other conferences had followed, it would have been a much better look. But right now the Big Ten looks really, really bad. And they will look even worse if the other conferences are able to safely play a season. What do I think they should have done? Honestly, I think they should have pushed the season back to a late September start like the SEC did, and wait for new information. There's new information coming out. I went over some of it that came out right after they canceled the season. But wait for new info. And if that new info still tells you it's not safe to play, then don't play. The fact that there's a disconnect between the Big Ten postponing the season and the SEC, who are planning to have 30% capacity at their games, is one, embarrassing for the sport, but two, it makes absolutely zero sense. And again, I'm getting into that later because that's, that's the one thing about the sport that, that they need to fix, the structure of the sport. So tell the people involved why the decision was made. They should have pushed it back and just make the timetable make sense to us because as people that live for Big Ten football, watch it, go to games, honestly, some of our lives revolve around it in the fall. The fact that no one knows why this is happening makes all of it look really, really bad in the public eye, in the private eye. The future just doesn't look great for the conference right now. And I think that this quick decision and secret decision is a big part of that. Before I switch gears, I just want to relay a couple notes. And you can take them as you will. But this is all kind of adding to the uncertainty around whether this conference has made the right call. It's adding to the uncertainty, and the reason it is just goes back to what I've been talking about, about the fact that they haven't provided clear information and have been so secretive and decided to do it or announce that they were doing it right after they released the schedule. So, a couple notes. Run with them as you will. This is aside from me. Kevin Warren's son, Kevin Warren, is the commissioner of the Big Ten is playing football for Mich- for Mississippi State this year. 13 of the 14 Big Ten schools welcomed or are planning to welcome kids back to campus and have at least partially in-person classes. Now, Michigan State and others have gone all online, but 13 of the 14 welcomed or are currently planning to welcome kids to campus. The SEC, again, it's different in the different schools in the different states, but they're prepping more than 20% capacity at their stadiums for the games. Florida State said that they were allowing tailgating. Hey, I'm not really saying much with that. Take that as you will. But those are facts around this season and college football in general. Let me shift gears to this. So I wrote an article about this a couple of weeks ago. I think there is one thing the NCAA can do right now. I don't think it would be that challenging to do to fix the structure of college football and end up saving the sport. So I've gone over this, but in the week that all of the rumors were coming out about the season getting postponed and then when the decision was made, first there were reports and these are from prominent college football media members. First that 12 of the 14 Big Ten presidents voted against playing this fall. Then there was a report that the conference had already decided to cancel the season. Then there was an updated report that no vote was conducted and the decision hadn't been made yet. Then the decision obviously was. Then you have some ADs saying he doesn't know if people voted. And then you have the commissioner saying that there wasn't like a pure vote, but there was a consensus. There's one thing that this all boils down to, and it's leadership. Leadership matters. There's not one institution in the country in the world that is as big and as profitable, honestly, Accept it. College football is a profitable business. I think they have a, they rake in more than $2 billion each year from television. There's no institution that large that doesn't have a single leader there to make the tough decisions, to unify people, and, you know, to deal with situations like we're in now, tough situations. And the idea of amateurism and the fact that the players aren't paid is a very significant roadblock you know, to the future of the sport and the sport lasting forever, if you will. I accept that, but I don't have a great answer for how to fix it. But if there's one fixable issue with the NCAA and college football, it's hiring a single person to be the commissioner or the president of the sport. You hire one person, one person to lead, or at least to be the face. What does that do? First of all, it, it allows someone to bring the conferences together to talk and to be on the same page about things there. The, even the medical information at this point, you have the sec and the ACC are on a different page in the big 10. This is about the medical information. This isn't even about football. This isn't even about the sport. So first of all, you're on the same page, which when you're a structure, when you're a business or an organization structured like this, It's significant that you are when you have these five really influential bodies within your organization, your institution. They need to be on the same page about things like take yourself back a couple months. Imagine if there was a single person in charge of the sport when COVID first hit the country. Maybe the season still wouldn't be salvageable, but at least there would be there would have been a plan in place for when the sport got to the point that it's at now. They're, they had they had five months. The Big Ten had five months. And it seems like the decision, the call was made in a, in a 24-hour period. Five months. Five months that could have been spent planning for the season or just creating a plan for when this day that we're in now came. And I'm going back again. This is clearly putting aside whether the season should happen. There are captivating arguments to be made on both sides. But having a governing presence to unite the conferences and create a clear plan would have ensured that the staring match, the staring match that they're in, and the fact that the Big Ten postponed the season first, trying to get the other conferences to follow, that staring match wouldn't have happened. They would have been on the same page. And in terms of the future of the sport, that's significant. You can't have three of the big conferences play, two of them not, and expect everything to go on in the spring or next fall without a hitch. It doesn't make sense. So Fox Sports radio host Colin Cowherd had a good piece on this and he brought up the analogy with boxing in the UFC where boxing was at the peak of popularity but it lacked a single leading presence. Then when Dana White and the UFC came along, Dana White, one of the guys where you know he's in the room as soon as he steps in it, he's a presence at the top and and you can like his his way of running the, the sport. You cannot like it but you can't really argue the fact that that he is, is a captivating presence up top and he leads. So when Dana White and the UFC came along, they drove boxing towards irrelevance because boxing didn't have someone to organize and, and, and to deal with everything that comes with being that popular of an organization and, and of a business. This leadership matters and amateurism might be the bigger issue and might be the single driving force towards college sports changing forever. But especially in the time we're in now, you need someone there to to bring the conferences together, to make decisions, or at least to be the face of the decisions, you know. There's just no way that you can go forward and have three conferences play and have two conferences not. Just look at the story leaks from the Big Ten and other conferences, you know, during during that crazy couple days span. They're leaking information that's been disputed by people. This is about the vote. It's been disputed by people. It's been confirmed by people. AD say they don't know if it happened again, but they're leaking information, trying to get other conferences to follow. You totally get rid of that staring match and that whole, that whole going to the media to try to try to put out a story to influence other decisions. The decision is made together, and if you're going forward as a sport, you need to be together, especially with with dealing with the issue of amateurism. You know, there's no way that that if you go in and and some conferences say that players can be played or different states and all these things, it might be a situation like we're in now where we have a couple conferences that, that allow them to be paid and some that don't and then you have the prospects go to the schools where they can get paid. The disconnect just can't happen and it's ridiculous that it is. And if you're going forward, the future doesn't look great without someone there to lead. You need leadership in this situation. And At the end, I'm not saying that this person would have found a way to create a bubble or conduct a safe season, but at least there would have been someone at the top to lead the conferences towards making the best possible decision for both the health of the players and everyone involved, but also for the future of the sport. We would know that the decision would be in good hands. And right now, if three conferences play and two don't, one of them made the right decision and one of them didn't. So either going forward, the SEC... The ACC, the Big 12 that are playing, the season doesn't go well. They ended up playing and, and you know, the information they had told them they shouldn't or things progress and they're not able to play. That's a really bad look for them when two conferences didn't play. Or the two conferences that didn't play, the others play and it's safe and it's successful. Then it's a terrible look on on the two that didn't. Like, to me, there's if you're looking at a holistic perspective of the sport, there's not really a good path forward. There's not a win-win situation here. There's no way that if some people play and some don't, that you go forward. You know, years ahead when when the when COVID is gone, you know you can't go years ahead and and really see a bright future when there's this disconnect. And even in a crisis, there was no way, there was no person there to make the right decision. So that's if. I don't know the logistics around hiring someone, but it doesn't it's not, you know, an insurmountable hurdle like the idea of amateurism might be. Mark Emmert, who isn't as closely like related to football as, as football needs. Mark Mark Emmert hires a commissioner of the sport or finds a way to, then a lot of these problems are solved, or at least they're solved and you know that the decision was made for the right reasons and in the right way. That's my take on all this, and it's really hard to see what's happening with the sport, a sport I love and I know a sport that I assume everyone who's listening to this loves and, and lives for all fall. Finally, some, some good news to talk about in an in extremely hectic week that has been a nightmare in, in, in many respects. Some good news. The Wisconsin Badgers a couple days ago signed their top wide receiver target in the class of 2021, Skylar Bell. Now, they, they didn't previously have a receiver in the class. And that's big for a couple reasons. Number one, this the, the 2021 class, which is which has a good chance to be the best in program history, especially if they get five-star offensive tackle Nolan Rucci, but it's pretty loaded defensively. Now, you have uh, four-star offensive tackles, JP, Ben and Riley Maumann. Um You have four-star tight end, Jack Pugh. You have three-star four-star, by some accounts, quarterback, Deacon Hill. You have these offensive weapons that are coming in, but it's really mainly loaded defensively. Having a wide receiver in this class is, is massive because we know, and and Asher Lowe, one of my colleagues at Badger's Wire, wrote a great piece on this after talking to Bell, that when Graham Murch steps in in a year or two, this offense could look pretty different. Now, the game plan will be there. They're going to run the football. But the aerial attack could change. And Quintez Cephas is the best wide receiver the program has had in a couple years. You saw what happened when you had a weapon on the outside. And going forward, you know the school is going to get the running backs. You know the school is going to get the offensive tackles. You know the defense is going to be really, really good. The big question mark every year is the receiving core. And getting Bell who's the number five player in the state of Connecticut, number 132 receiver in the class, getting him and adding him to the class is massive. It's massive both for the next couple years going forward with Mertz, but also it's huge for, let's say receivers, because Wisconsin's not the receiver destination. Let's say receivers see what, what Mertz and, and Bella are able to do or, or Mertz and his other receivers. That'll be big for the, for the, receiver recruiting for years to come. It's happened with running back. In the last 10 years, all of the backs that have gone to the NFL, Melvin Gordon, James White, Corey Clement, now Jonathan Taylor, that's a big thing when when top prospects like Jalen Berger are thinking about what school to go to. So getting Bell's huge. The class is now number three, still number three in the Big Ten. It's number 17 in the nation, and if they're able to land Nolan Rucci, which Accounts are right now that he's deciding in between Penn State and Clemson and Wisconsin, with Penn State and Wisconsin being the lead dogs at this point. If they're able to get him, it's the best recruiting class in program history. And you add that class to the classes for the years before with, with Graham Mertz coming in, Jalen Berger at running back, all the defensive weapons, and the 2022 with Braylon Allen already committed. You're looking at a program where you know when they get players, the, the player development, especially on defense, is exceptional and along the offensive line. But you're looking at a program that if they can start recruiting in the top 10 each year or top 15, as opposed to in the 30s and 35s ranked nationally, this is a program that could be on its way to competing for national titles. Now we know that they have success getting to the Big Ten Championship, but they always have struggles, as we've seen, especially in the last couple years winning that championship, and recently it's been Ohio State. And Ohio State doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. They're one of the best recruiting programs in the country. So we know Wisconsin, You know, we know the way that they play is effective. We know that their player development is exceptional. If they can add top prospects to that mix, that's when we're going to see them take the step forward, maybe win the Big Ten in the coming years, and make steps towards the playoff. They've been close. They were close in 2017 with, with Hornibrook when they were 13 and a 12-0, excuse me, going into the conference championship, ended up losing that game and then winning the Orange Bowl. They were close. They were a win away from the playoff. They were undefeated. So you add talent at the key positions to the way that the, that the program's already structured, and that's huge news going forward. And this Bell signing, and even though he isn't one of the top receiving prospects, it's significant. It's significant both for the short-term and long-term future of the program. All right, that's our show. I appreciate everyone tuning in. We'll be back early next week to go over the developments in the season and you know all of the talk and announcements surrounding the season. But it's great to be off and running, obviously, Would have loved a a season to preview and, and football to be talked about. Nevertheless, I appreciate you tuning in, and I'll see you next week. This is the Third and Run podcast.